Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Just while I'm indulging a little bit, uh, this is my concern as an old man, okay? Because my wife and I travel a lot, uh, a lot, and different churches, and we've been in different uh, circumstances and so forth, thanks to you. So what concerns me is that the ordinances that God ordained in the church, like uh, water baptism or communion or laying in of hands, uh, anointing with oil, all these ordinances can become empty forms if we don't maintain the presence of the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Otherwise, uh, we can anoint people and it just becomes, uh, you know, an empty ceremony. Whereas in the book, in the Bible, uh, when, when David was anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit came upon him. How many agree that uh, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit? So when Samuel anointed David with oil, the oil came upon him. In other words, the Holy Spirit worked with the symbol of his own being. Do you get the point? And you see, if the Spirit's not there, it just becomes another form. What about laying of hands? Do we believe in the laying of hands? Or is it just laying empty hands on empty heads? Okay, then it becomes a form. And it's become that way. So, I mean, if we don't maintain the presence, communion, do we believe the bread represents the body of Jesus that's in heaven first? Do we believe the cup represents his blood? If we don't believe in the presence, in fact, one of the titles of the communion table is it's the bread of his presence. And see, if we don't maintain the presence, everything becomes a form. That's what I get concerned about. So, Lord, where's your presence? Maintain the presence. So that goes on everything. Water baptism. I've heard, I've heard so many churches say over my time when I didn't believe in water baptism that uh, now there's nothing in the water. Oh, well, if there's nothing in the water... We just go down a dry center and come up a wet one. I'd like to say the first mention of water in the Bible and the first mention of spirit in the Bible is the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So I'd like when they go down in the water, if they've got sucking a filthy old cigarette or a pipe, wash it out, put it out. And may they rise to walk in newness of life. So in the olden days when I used to take water baptism and serve, I used to pray. Holy Spirit, move upon the face of the waters as these people are being baptized. And as they go down, may they bury the old life and come up and walk in a new life. That's it. The Holy Spirit. If he, if he moved on the face of the waters in the beginning, he could still do it in a baptismal service. I've, I've read records and met some of the folks in America where, where some people were water baptized and instantly healed as they just leapt out of the water. Resurrection life, there's something there. So all I'm talking about is we must maintain the presence of the Lord in all these things, otherwise they become another empty form. Okay, that's free. I'm not going to charge you for that. Okay, all right, now let's get into our study here tonight. We've got our last couple of sessions and really appreciate so many being out. Okay, now uh, so far we've done about five sessions on First Peter. 
Uh, last week we did uh, one session on Second Peter, and tonight we want to finish on Second Peter. Okay, in our session number seven, I want to look at an overview of the last day. So you've got your notes there. So let's uh, just read this and uh, do a little bit of our uh, jigsaw puzzle approach here. All right, introductory. One of the key words and underlying themes of Peter's writing, uh, Peter's writings, is the use of the word day or days. It remains for us to gain an overview of God's activity in these days. So very interesting now. Uh, Notice the use of the word day or days in in Peter's epistles. So uh, we note the references and the terminology used relating to these days. So number one, I'm just going to verbalize these without going to the scripture. We will uh, look at some of them. Uh, In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12, he speaks of the day of visitation. Uh, number two, in First Peter 3.10, he speaks of the good days. Uh, number three, he speaks of the days of Noah, First Peter chapter 3.20 onwards. Uh, number four, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, Second Peter 1.19. Number five, he uses the expression, the days of Lot, where he vexed his soul as a righteous man with a filthy conversation of the uh, Sodomite cities there. Uh, Solomon Gomorrah. And number six, uh, we have this expression, the day of judgment. Second Peter chapter two, verse nine. Second uh, Peter chapter two, verse 12. Number seven, those who riot in the daytime. Uh, number eight, he speaks about the scoffers who mock Christ coming in the last days, quote unquote, second Peter chapter three, verse three. And then again, number nine, we have the expression the day of judgment again, Second Peter chapter 3, 7 with chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, that's repeated. And then this is an interesting one. Uh, number 10, uh, Peter says, one day with the Lord. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and, and a thousand years is one day. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And where does Peter get that from? It's one of the quotations from the Old Testament, which we're going to look at in a moment. And then number 11, uh, the day of the Lord was come as a thief. How many are looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night? Hands up. If you're looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness. Remember that? I was caught on that years ago. I said, yeah. And then the brother said, if you're looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night... You're in darkness. So just fasten your safety belts. We'll come back to that. And then number 12, the last expression is the coming day of God. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. All right, now, so that's the references to this expression day. Now, as I said in the introductory here, it remains for us to gain an over, overview of God's activity in these days. And what does God mean by this? You know, what's it all? So on the diagram on page uh, 14, should be on your notes, we'll superimpose those in the appropriate time. And I hope that you agree with me. If not, disagree, agree, disagree with me agreeably, won't you? Okay, now let's go to B. And I've got here our subtitle, Ordering Our Days, Psalm 90. So I'd like you to turn to Psalm 90. I did have a Bible somewhere. That's it.
Okay, Psalm 90, everybody got that? I'd like to bring your Bible along because this is an advanced class and we like to use the word. Okay, now a couple of important things I want you to note here. Who is this psalm uh, purportedly written by? It's in the, uh, in the uh, superscription. Okay, think of this now. Very important. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That's what I'm, I'm told here. And it's referring to the eternity of God and man's frailty. So uh, what other books did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, the books of the Torah or the books of the Pentateuch. Now, so, so the first thing here, it's a Psalm of Moses, the man of God. It's a prayer now, I want you to notice, and only for time's sake, we've lost a little bit of time here. I want you to notice the use of the key words in this psalm and the, the, the whole theme of the psalm. Let me say it. It's, uh, I, I've, I've called it the psalm of days and years. And the first thing we'll, we'll see is we have God's days and years and then we have man's days and years. So I've marked it in my Bible, which I do and encourage you to do because it's easy to pick up. So let's, uh, let's start off with verse 1 and 2 anyway. And I'll read from Old Authorized because I've got the word circled. Uh, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal and very similar. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth and so forth. Now, in verse 4, first use of the word years and days. And remember, Peter quotes this. For a thousand years in your sight, uh, but as yesterday, when it is passed as a watch in the night. So I've circled the word years and day, yesterday. And Peter quotes that in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, you've got it on your notes there. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. So he's writing to spirit-filled believers back there. I don't want you to be ignorant of, of this one thing. What, Peter? That a day unto the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Now, a day unto man is not a thousand years. A day unto man is 24 hours. But we're looking at the Lord's day. So we've got to get that clear. Uh, and we'll go to the board in a moment. So everlasting to everlasting, eternity to eternity, you are God. And a thousand years in your sight, uh, but as yesterday when it's past. Then in uh, verse 9, he goes to our days. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told, days and years. Then uh, I'll come back to verse 10 in a moment, but I don't like it. The days of our years, so days and years, are threescore years and ten. How many years is that? And if by reason of strength, I'm nearly 84, they be 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off and we fly away. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Moses. Uh, now, that's going to be much more meaningful in a moment because I'm feeling it, you know, I'll be 84 next birthday. I don't look 84, do I? More, 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 more. It makes me feel a couple of years younger. Okay. All right. So days of our years. And then go down to verse 12. Next use of the word days, and it's referring to man's days. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And my wife, because we're uh, both of us in our 80s, we're saying, Lord, help us. You know, number our days. We don't know what God gives us. All right, verse um, 
uh, 14, next use of the word days. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And then the last reference is uh, days and years in verse 15. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. So you'll notice the use of the word day or days and years, uh, God's days and years and man's days and years. All right, now, what I'd like you to do is uh, uh, go, go to you. Um, a blank part here, and I want to illustrate this first of all. That, that is supposed to be a circle. All right, now a circle is like an uh, object uh, supposed to be without beginning and without end. So uh, we have the whole thought that God is e- eternal. In, in verse 2, uh, even from everlasting to everlasting, or from eternity to eternity, you are God. So, so God is eternal, and, and if you want to fill in your diagram a little bit there. God is the eternal. There's no such thing as uh, time with God. God is uh, not limited by time. He works in time, but he's not limited by time. He works in time, but he's not limited by it. So he's eternal, timelessness. That's the thing. No beginning, no end. Now, when it comes to time, and uh, I'll try, try and not talk too fast here, I'd like you to put this word up here. And uh, Connor's definition of time. What is time? Okay, my definition, very important in our big picture tonight. Time is a fragment, or if you want to use a safer word, a portion. So time is a portion or a fragment of eternity in which God is working out his purposes in relation to earth in two things. Let me say that again. So what is time? Time is a fragment or a portion of eternity. So, you know, here's eternity, timelessness, circle without beginning and without end. God is eternal. He's not limited by time. He works in time, but he's not limited by it. So time doesn't mean a thing to him in one way. So time, what is time? Time is a fragment or a portion of eternity in which God is working out his purposes in earth. So let's put uh, a little planet earth down here. In relation to two things. Number one, creation. And number two, redemption. Okay, let me just say that again. That's very important to get hold of. So time is just a fragment or a portion of eternity in which God's working out his purposes in relation to earth. Number one, in relation to creation. And number two, in relation to redemption. All right, now let's go back to time. And I want you to think with me uh, here. So back in creation, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of 2, we called this, uh, us theologians or us guys in this realm, we called this the week of creation. Let's put it this way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So in creation, God works six days. Seventh day, rest. Or what SEAs call the Sabbath, the beginning of it, though the word's not used. Okay, six days, so God works six days. Now, let me throw, and as I said, if you disagree with me, disagree agreeably. It's not my fault if I'm right. Okay, no, no, just, just kidding. Okay, 
Did you know, did you realise, because we don't always think, uh, but you are the thinkers, that's why you're in this class. There were no 24-hour days until the fourth day. All we have, and you see, we don't want to get into a fight over this, you know, because we're getting into the whole uh, creation evolution thing and the days were 24 hours days and say, all we have is the first day uh, and evening were the first day. Evening and the morning were the second day. Evening and morning, third day. But there were no 24-hour days until the fourth day when God created the sun, the moon and the stars to govern our 24-hour days and our times and our seasons and our month and years. So the Hebrew word day simply means a period of time. And because some creationists are frightened that we believe in devolution, I mean evil solution, I mean evolution, whatever, you know what I'm saying. Okay, they say, no, it's 24-hour day. No, we've got no guarantee. Then we have... So God worked anyway, regardless of that. God worked six days in creation, seventh day he rested. And the masterpiece of his creation at the end of the sixth day was, as we said last week, I think, uh, sometimes I preach in my sleep, beasts were created on the sixth day and man was created on the sixth day. So number six is the number of the beast. Number six is the number of man. And when you get to the book of Revelation, this is Genesis, you see the man who is the beast and his number is 666. But it all began here, the seed of it, because Genesis is the seed book of the Bible. Everybody right with me so far? All right. Well, thank you for the underwhelming response here, but sick over here. Okay. I've got to get to you people somehow. Okay, now. So at the end of the, of the six days, God created beasts and created man. Uh, the sixth day, number six there. And so Mr. and Mrs. Adam, they actually began their honeymoon on the seventh day. Rest. How many found their honeymoon a rest? <laughs> we won't talk about that. Okay, we'll leave that alone. Okay, now, listen carefully now. Because we haven't forgotten Moses wrote this psalm and he wrote Genesis. So um, God said to Adam and Eve, put them in a beautiful garden, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, they were before the fall. How many of you know that? If you don't believe me, Genesis 5, verse 1 and 2, he blessed them and called their name Adam. It was Mr. and Mrs. Adam. See, Eve was the name given by Adam after the fall. See, when my wife married me, she took my name and my money. (laughs) So... I know what I'm talking about. That's going to cost me a love offering, isn't it, darling? I'll, I'll take, you out, take you out afterwards. Okay. Uh, yeah, so now notice God placed him in the garden. And remember, this may be a shock to you, but we're, it's teaching night. There was no such thing as time as far as man was concerned. Because if Adam and Eve hadn't messed us all up, they could have still been alive. Because the tree of eternal life was there. We've got no record they ate of it. I don't think they did. But they could have eaten of and eaten and lived forever. And you see, time, listen carefully here, time didn't begin till sin began. Time and sin are synonymous. So when Adam ate... 
and his wife ate of the forbidden tree, they bought a Seiko watch. <laughs> and time began, because God said, now listen carefully, God's talking, in the day, oh, now what day? In the day you eat, you will surely die. So, if they hadn't have eaten of the forbidden tree, they could have still been living. They would have lived happily ever after. And, don't throw it away, this morning it meets the ear, they would have had a perfect offspring, which God intended for this earth, and he hasn't forgotten it. The, 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 the plan of redemption is vaster than our, our little puny minds. So, God said, in the day you eat there, you'll surely die. All right, well, they ate, bought a Seco watch, and time began. Now, God's talking, so how long did Adam live? 930 years. Very good, you're a good class. 930 years. Now, God's talking, so he said, in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. What is a day unto the Lord? Okay, a thousand years now. Think of this. I'm going to talk to Adam about this. A day unto the Lord. Now, a day unto us is 24 hours. But a day unto the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. They lived 930 years. Adam did. And 930 from a thousand leaves 70. Now, that's all you and I are promised. How many are going to talk to Adam about that lot? He snitched 930. <laughs> Think how many books I could have written. And he left me a miserable 70, and if by reason of strength, it's 80. It's miserable. <laughs> Are you getting the point? Yes. See, Moses wrote the psalm. He wrote Genesis, so he knows. So, Adam lived 930 years. He left us miserable 70. But you see, all the patriarchs, nobody's ever lived a day. They all lived 700, 800, 900 years, but they all died in the day. Now, when we get to the end of the age, because we're moving into redemption now, uh, the devil's going to be bound a thousand years. And all of us as believers will live a day and then some. Because... When sin comes to an end, time will end. Time will be no more. Do you, do you know what we have? I mean, maybe we don't think these things. But you and I have eternal life. It's just this old body that wears out. The last thing to be redeemed is our body. We're redeemed in our spirit. We've been redeemed in our soul. last thing to be redeemed is our body. I'd, li I'd like to see the uptaker, not the undertaker, wouldn't you? Especially the price of funerals is going up every day. It's too dear to live, too dear to die. I mean, let's just... No, not yet, okay. All right, so you're starting to get the point. I can tell that. Okay, day under those thousand years. Now, what happened, moment Adam sinned, so he messed up God's honeymoon, or their honeymoon, and God's rest. Time began... So now God had to set in plan another week, and we call this week the week of redemption. So as far as we know, we're not setting dates or anything like that, God has been working 
two days, which we call, I can't get into this too much, the dispensation of the Father, two days dispensation of the Son, two days dispensation of the Holy Spirit. This will come together a bit more later on. And the seventh day, when Jesus comes and the devil's bound for a thousand years, seventh day, won't that be rest when there's no devil in the earth, no temptation, sin's made an end of, and we just live happily ever after? That's the vast plan. So, as I said before, what's time? A little portion, a little fragment of eternity where where God's working out his purposes in relation to earth, in relation, number one, to creation, the week of creation, and number two, the week of redemption. Now, on the fourth day in the week of creation, we're going to come to this in a moment, uh, Jesus came and died on the cross. We'll come to that in a moment. All right, now, let's see where I am. Go over to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. Uh, no, sorry, Job 24 it is. And Job asks a very interesting question here. Job 24 verse 1. And he says here, Uh, Verse 1, yeah. Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? Let me read from all King James. Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? So we're talking about his days, a day unto the Lord, not a day unto man. Okay. All right, now. So let me see. So in the day you eat, you'll surely die. So let, uh, how many believe Adam died in the day he sinned? Hands up. How many would say yes? How many would say no? How many would say yes and no? The answer is yes and no. Adam died spiritually in the 24-hour day he sinned. That's why we're born dead in trespasses and sins and need resurrection life through salvation. Right? But Adam lived physically, but he died within God's day, 930 years. So he died spiritually in the 24-hour day he sinned, but he died physically in the day of God, a thousand years under the Lord's one day. Okay. Uh, In fact, the Hebrew experts tell me, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, when God said, uh, in the day you eat, you'll surely die, he's saying, in the day... In dying spiritually, you will die physically. That's what he's really saying. And the proof is it happened. All right, now. So Peter quotes that. Now, let me give you one more illustration. And just because time is slipping away here, put down just, uh, and you know, in my fanaticism, I've done this right through the Bible. So uh, I've convinced myself if I don't convince you. Isn't this interesting? That uh, if we take God's day, say, all right, so uh, where do we go here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, now, you think what God did with Israel. God said to Israel, and this is all in Exodus chapter 12, I want you to take the Passover lamb on the 10th day, can't get into that, and keep the lamb for four days. And in the evening of the fourth day, you're to bring that lamb out and kill it. 
Now, isn't it significant that it's like I said last time, God's saying to Israel, I want you to do typically with your lamb what I'm going to do actually with my lamb. And you see, I wonder if any Israelite ever thought, I wonder why God told us to take the lamb and keep the lamb for four days. It must be a male, because by one man sin entered the world, not by one woman, though we'd say that, the male chauvinist. And why does God want us to keep the lamb for 24-hour days and kill it in the evening? Remember what I said? God is getting them to do typically what he's going to do actually. And you see, the moment Adam sinned, 1 Peter tells us God set his lamb aside, slain from the foundation of the world. And four days later, from Adam to Jesus, we have four days, 4,000 years. And John, as he sees the lamb coming, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so God did typically with his lamb what he got Israel to do with his lamb, with their lamb. That's worth a little baby, hallelujah. And so John, and John's gospel is marvelous. The next day John sees Jesus come and says, Behold the lamb. And again the next day he sees the lamb come and says, Behold the lamb. That's the message of the church. But the third day, so since the cross, the third day there was a marriage. Pointing to the marriage of Christ and his church. How many think the Bible could be inspired? Just a will of... You see, God doesn't use these word days or day just for uh, uh, promiscuously or just for fun. He's got something in mind. Okay, now, what I want you to do and what we're going to do in our time here is I want you to superimpose on the diagram that you've got here on page 14, it should be your page two on your notes. We're going to take... and. And I hope, you, I hope you come along with me because there's been a lot of thought uh, on that, and, and see what God does. So let's say, see how we go here. So on your diagram, I want you to go to number one and we're going to look at this expression, the last days, and we'll try and uh, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, saints. I didn't say keep it simple, stupid. I didn't say that. Okay, all right, so uh, on your diagram there, uh, let's, let's do it this way. This is the diagram you've got in your notes. I'm not going to fill it all in there, but let's see how we go here. What I want to do is uh, I want you to, I'll give you the fill-ins. One, two, three, four, five, and give you the, uh, we'll start off with the simple stuff. Then we'll go to here, and then we'll go to there. Okay, so on this section here, uh, I want to look at number one, the last day. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, we won't turn to that. Uh, Remember, he says, in the last days, this is number 10, no, number number 8, sorry. Uh, In the last day, there were scoffers who would mock the Lord's coming. Say, well, you Christians have been talking about the Lord's coming for years. He still hasn't come. They just mock it. But he is coming. Every day brings it closer. All right, I want to give you five scriptures concerning the last days. And uh, as we do, we'll work through a couple of questions. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. 
So as we ask the questions, when did the last days begin? All right, Hebrews chapter 1 sort of gives us a a good clue on this. Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, we'll go to verse 1 and 2 for time's sake again. So it says, uh, New King James, God who at various times or sundry times, so any time before the cross over here, we'll put this here, Old Testament times was sundry times, previous time before the cross, B.C., Okay, so God who at sundry times and in various ways or divers manners spoke in time past. So if you want to put that there, you can put this at time. Time before the cross is time past. So he spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But number two, has in these last days, everybody say last days, spoken to us uh, by or literally in the person of his son. So the last days, so here we have no, you know, no unmistakable thing. We are living in the last days. So if we take the four days of the Lamb from Adam to Jesus, without setting any dates, four days, four days, we are living in day five, day six, we are living in the last days. How many would say amen to that? How many believe we are living in the last of the last days? I mean, when you think of what's happening in the earth and things are moving so fast, so fast, I wish God would hurry up and do something in the church. But he's spoken. So number one, your first scripture there is Hebrews chapter one and your caption there is, God has spoken to us in the last days by his son. Number one, that's your first thing. God has spoken by his son. All right, let's go to the next scripture, another last day scripture, Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2, and I'd like you to look at these scriptures because I want you to see it in your Bible. Naturally, I want you to uh, believe what I believe. If you don't, we'll disagree agreeably. Now, notice in Acts chapter 2, and your scriptures there, we'll pick up in verse 16 and 17. And remember in the early church, the early church had no New Testament. Their New Testament was in the Old Testament. And lots of people say, well, I'm a New Testament man. Say, dum-dum, if you didn't have the Old Testament, you wouldn't understand anything. So in verse 16, Peter's speaking. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, latter days, latter times. Different translations say, but the last days. What's going to happen? Says God, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters prophesy. And he goes, he quotes way down to verse 21. Shall come to pass, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So number two, put your next scripture there. I'm not putting them there. So Hebrews chapter one, now Acts chapter two, quoting from Joel. And what's happening in the last days? He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And how many believe we're still in those days? When Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet, Joel, he's not saying, this is the total fulfillment of it. It was the beginning. And there's thousands of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues today, regardless of denomination. Even God has visited some Catholics without our permission. (laughs) Because he sees the heart. And in spite of some of their Hail Marys, some of them have a heart for God. And I've had great times with the Catholics, getting them from Mary over to Jesus. Okay, number three, 
Look at this one. What's the purpose of the last days? Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. This will be your third scripture to put there. Isaiah chapter 2. How many enjoy the jigsaw puzzle approach? Okay, Isaiah chapter 2. And this is another last day scripture. And uh, without getting sidetracked on this, this is where many of the charismatic people missed the whole thing. They came into the baptism of spirit and were all excited about speaking in tongues, but they missed the purpose of the outpouring of the spirit. The purpose is found in Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days, what? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, people, people say to me, and I, I had great anointings on that till I found I was wrong, oh, this is going to be a rebuilt temple in the millennial kingdom. Nothing to do with it. Last days, Lord's house. What, what sort of a house? We've already done a session of that. You are built up a, a spiritual house. And how do I know? Because... All nations. Now the houses God had in the Old Testament, Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David, Temple of Solomon, was just for the chosen nation, Israel. But now all nations are going to flow to this house because you see, Jesus said, go and disciple all nations. It's a last day scripture. So going to build and, and look at many people shall go and say, uh, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and to the advanced track. And he will teach. Sorry, <laughs> the light's bad. Up. He will teach us his way. We'll walk in his paths. Yeah. All began with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the early church, and it's gone to every nation. Last days. Okay. So number three, what you caption there is the last days. He's building a spiritual house. You will build up a spiritual house. All right, number four, the next scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have to move quickly. 2 Peter chapter uh, 2 Timothy, sorry. And in this we have 17 signs. Let me just give you a brief, brief here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where are we? And he says, This know also that in the Last days. So last days, perilous times will come. And then he gives 20 or 17 or 21 characteristics of last days. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Self-love. Boy, clear. So much could be said on that. Last days. So your last scripture there, or that one is, uh, um, what have I got here? Perilous times, that'll do it. Perilous times will come. And then the one with James 5, he says, go to in the last days, you rich men. And we just think of the whole monetary system. I mean, can you believe that our dollar's above the US dollar at the moment? I mean, where's the almighty dollar now? Use it for the wallpaper, though, in due time. Okay. All right, and then Second Peter chapter 3, so you should have perilous times. Second Peter, mockers who mock the second coming of the Lord. So you Christians are always talking about the second coming. We don't believe in it. 
Okay, so five characteristics of last days. God has spoken to us in his son. Everybody said amen. Pour out my spirit in the last days. Amen. And then build a house, a spiritual house in the last days. Perilous times and mockers. All right, okay. So we've done number one. All right, number two. uh, On your notes here, watching my time. The day of visitation. You've got the scripture there. I'm just going to quote it because we're watching our time here. Day of visitation. Remember Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And what did he weep over? He said, if you only knew the things that belong to your peace, but now they're hid from your eyes. Why? Because you knew not the day of your visitation. And you see, you can put that scripture safely here. When Jesus came in his ministry, that was the day of visitation. I'll just put D of V. Day of visitation. God was visiting his people in the person of Christ and they rejected the visitation. Much could be said on that. A lot of people in the charismatic movement missed the day of their visitation. Uh, I hope we don't miss it ourselves. Amen? All right. Okay. Next one, number three now. Where will we put number three and number five? We'll put them together. Uh, No, three and four. First of all, we put it back here, uh, and we've alluded this before. So the days of Noah, and he talks about Noah, and then he talks about the days of Lot. Well, what did Jesus say in Luke 17? I'll put the scriptures there for, as it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. So though it happened back there in the Old Testament time, days of Noah and uh, days of a lot of Sodomite society, a violent society, it's going to be so. And we're seeing that in the days we're living in. We are living in the days of Noah. And we're living in the days of Lot with uh, the Greenies. Sorry. Yeah, who want to introduce same-sex marriage? under the guise of looking after the environment. Hey, Christians, we, we're going to stop playing church, wake up to some of these things. Thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. I'll look at my notes instead of looking at your faces. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, number three, number four, days of Noah, days of life. Day of the Lord. Okay. When does the day of the Lord come? Now, we've already done this sort of days of the Lord. A day of the Lord is a thousand years. Now, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians because he said the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I purposely wanted to catch you before because I was caught because I taught for years. In Bendigo, when I used to have street meetings, play the piano accordion, that next, if we're not here next week, you know the Lord's come back as a thief in the night, you're going to get six, 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 six all over you. Well, we wouldn't turn up the next week or the next week, and that was 60 years ago. And then one day a brother was preaching in our fellowship and said, how many of you looking for the Lord to come back as a thief in the night? Yeah, praise God. He said, if you're looking for the Lord to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness. I thought, that's blasphemy. He said, let's read the Bible. (laughs) So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. Verse 4. Everybody say, but. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So I'm not in darkness. That's why I said, if you're looking for the Lord to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness. But I'm not in darkness. I hope I'm ready right now. You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do in the night, but let us watch and be awake and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk at drunken night. So drunkenness and sleepiness, characteristics of the last days. Well, we're not there. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, okay, day of the Lord, pointing to the second coming of the Lord, and you can put those scriptures there, uh, here. Okay, here. Coming of the Lord, second coming of the Lord. First coming back there, second coming here, last days. Okay, and um, Revelation chapter 3 on your notes there, verse 1 to 6. There will be, sorry to say, some churches who the Lord will come to as a thief in the night. Because he says to the church of Sardis, you have a name that you live, but you're dead. And he said, if you don't repent and watch, I will come upon you as a thief in the night and you'll not know it. So there will be people, and I don't want to belong to that church, a dead church of Sardis that can miss the coming of the Lord. You've got to think of these things. We grab the promises Okay, number six, uh, let's go to that and then we've got to take a break. Wow, yes. Uh, number six, where do I have that? Uh, the day of judgment. Remember that when Jesus comes, so if you want to put this here, this is uh, like his second coming here. And the, the thousand years, as I understand it, is bounded by two judgments. There's the uh, the the beamer seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ for believers, and then at the end, second resurrection, there's a great white throne judgment. So the thousand-year period is bounded by two judgments, judgment for believers as to rewards and place in the kingdom, great white throne judgment as to eternity. So day of judgment, day of judgment. So you put there, number seven, the day star, what did I get? I looked up a little bit. It's the, actually the morning star. And Greek word is phosphorus, light-bearing phosphorus. And it's the, the morning star. And it heralds the coming of a new day. It's the last star to be visible in the sky when all others are obliterated by the rising sunlight. So if you want to put it here, you can put this star here. We'll make it a six-pointed star. Not the Babylonian Christmas stars, five points. Okay, the day star arising as the day dawns. And then number, number eight here, the day of God. It brings you to the day of the Lord, the seventh day, the day of the Lord, and the, the day of God. That's, that's it, all that belongs there. So number eight. And then as we just wrap it up here, let's go to the letter C. Where do you put the new heavens and new earth? 
and I put it in the order there. So Revelation chapter 19, and I just take it in the order it is. Jesus comes a second time riding on a white horse. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of a thousand years where the saints live and reign with Christ. And then Revelation 21 and uh, 22, we have the new heavens and the new earth, new Jerusalem, that's it, and eternity. Time shall be no more. Hallelujah. I hope you got something out of that. If you've enjoyed today's teaching by Kevin Connor, be sure to check out his books, available from word.com.au in Australia, amazon.com all over the world, and now downloadable as PDFs on kevinconnor.org.